Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. chapter 13. We're going to read verses 11 through 14. Chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Apostle Paul says, do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For, somebody say now, Now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us, this is talking to believers, let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, listen to these two, and not in strife and jealousy. Verse 14, but put on, somebody say put on, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I don't think we can go into an end time sermon until we deal with this. So verse 11, he's saying, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So let's break this down. You can take notes, write this down. It's good stuff. So the phrase, and do this, this is a phrase gathering up everything that Paul has been talking about in the previous chapters. So do this. What's he been what's he been talking about? He's been talking about in Romans chapter 12. Your body, your life should be a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. Uh, Live your life in love. He's saying based on these things. Now do this. Do this. Knowing the time. So do these things. Live your life as a sacrifice before Christ. Live in love. Don't be conformed to the world. Do these things knowing the time do all this in light of the time in which we live because the day of the lord is near how many y'all believe that it's nearer today than it was yesterday and no one knows when it's coming no one no one can figure it out i know people see things and there's time frame no one knows no one knows when jesus is coming no one knows when that's going to happen no one knows if you're a pre-trib when he's going to snatch you out of here no one knows that so we live life Now, with a conscious understanding, it's coming, which challenges me to live my life right now, understanding that soon I will be out of here and I will be standing before him. Do you want to be living your life in debauchery, carousing, drunkenness, sexual sexual immorality, sensuality, jealousy, and lust? Do you want to be living your life in that type of lifestyle? When it's time for you to go, 
This is what this is about, challenging you to live your life, to behave properly. We live in a world where people do not behave properly. We live in a nation where people don't live. They don't behave properly um, from young to old. This is a, I thought of this when the music was going, this is like, this, I related to this. Excuse me for my firearm illustration, but I talked to two ladies yesterday when I was doing a, a, a training lesson with them, a mother and a daughter, and I said to them, ladies, I know it's, I'm not, see, I'm not being, you know, uh, gender focused here, but because you're women, you're going to be much easier prey to someone who's evil. I said, you have to live, we, there's conditions, there's colors. Condition white is that, the condition white person is the person that is walking around in life doing this, looking at their cell phone. And they're never conscious of anything else going on in life. It's all focused on, they're looking at the social media all the time. And when you look, I watched a group of prisoners in a room with a video played of people doing about their business, and they would literally go, that person's prey, that person's prey, that person's prey, and they were all the people that were not even aware of anything that was going on around them. Condition yellow, which is what I tell my wife when she leaves the house, yellow, um, kind of a weird thing. I don't say I love you, I just say condition yellow. Um, I tell her that, which means I, I guess that means I love her, So because I care enough that I don't want her to get hurt. So condition yellow is you're not freaked out, you're not paranoid, but you're, you're the consciousness of, okay, I'm up and looking, right? Something could come, but I'm being aware and making sure. That's the way this is. You need to be spiritually in condition yellow. You need to be aware. Don't walk around in life. He's going to talk about this, apathetic, lethargic, sleeping. We're called to come out of that and to be something different, amen? So as we look forward to this great day, we should be distinct in our behavior. Our life should look differently. That's why I wish everybody was here today. Our life should look differently than people who are not saved. I should not get into a group of unsaved people and talk like they talk, act like they talk, or act like they act and do the things they do. I'm not saying be haughty, be, you know, you know, not you know, more whatever. You're, you're not connected to them as people or you're trying, but your life amongst them living distinct will make a difference. Believe me, I know it. I've seen it in my own life. We're supposed to live a distinct life. Our behavior should be distinct from those who only have a temporal viewpoint because our minds understand there's coming a day when this is all going to be over. It could be tomorrow. It could be 10 years. It could be 50 years. It could be 100 years. I don't know. But there's coming a day when this is all going to be over. We're either going to die on this earth and be transported into heaven or we're going to be on this earth and we're going to be out of here. One or the other. But we live with a distinct behavior different than those who have a temporal view. Unbelievers are sleeping and walking in the darkness of light. I'm not an unbeliever. I'm a believer. So I'm supposed to be awake and walking in the light of day because I'm looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm awake. I'm, I'm walking in the light of day. Time is running out. There's a marked time for everybody. It's either, again, if he takes you out of here, um, catches you away, or you die, there's a time. Time is running out. Now, right now is the strategic season for all of us in this room to be busy about the things the Father wants us to do. And for anybody older in here, it doesn't stop with age. There, there is no retirement in the body of Christ. There's always something for you to do. Understand something, not just for yourself, but to make a difference in somebody else's life by the way you act, the way you behave, and what you do when you're out in the world. Somebody say amen to that. Time is limited. 
Opportunity is fleeting. Life is short. Time to heed and obey is now. There's no time for apathy. There's no time for complacency. And there's no time for, here's a big one in the church, there's no time for indifference. I have people come into church services, and I struggle with this. They will sit while you're preaching the word of God. Hey, if they're an unbeliever and they don't want to listen, I get it. They're a sinner. They're still in their sin. They don't understand anything. But for a person who says, I'm born again, I'm a, you know, I'm a believer, and to sit in a church service and to sleep and to not pay attention, it's, it's indifferent. You're indifferent to the things the Holy Spirit. It's not me trying to teach you to help you live your life better. We, we're not supposed to be indifferent to the things of God. I, I, I love emotion. I love being excited about Christ. Why should we be dead, boring, dried up, no clapping, I don't care, oh gosh, when's he going to be done? Is this guy going to preach very long? Either you're not saved or you're an indifferent believer. Amen? If you don't like coming to church, you're either not saved or you're an indifferent believer. If you don't like praying and reading the word, you're either not saved or you're an indifferent, apathetic, lazy, lethargic Christian truth and you're going to hear it in Paul's words welcome to Sunday morning Uh, so he's saying live this way well we're talking about something that's about the end times I feel a in my heart I've got to make a point here he says live this way knowing the time because life is so uncertain we seem to be almost concerned about what time it is now God's concerned with what time is drawing near Time, the Greek word time, so knowing the time, and this is interesting, it's the Greek word kairos. It's unlike the Greek word chronos, which is more focused on chronological time. Kairos is used as, it it's notes times of significant events, and one of those is the coming of the Lord. So he uses a very specific word time, know the time. Know the time of the Lord's coming is drawing near. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. So this already gives this urgency to Paul's exhortation. He's not speaking of some remote time um, when we could be, you know, making leisurely preparation for it. He's calling for action now. Get ready now. And he's going to say here in a minute, wake up. Get out of your sleep. Get out of your indifference. Get out of your lethargic walk you're sleepwalking as a believer you're supposed to be wide awake living your life for christ a distinct behavior the word sleep it's a metaphor paul uses for spiritual apathy and lethargy or unresponsiveness to the things of eternal value that please god how many of y'all really prayed this week like you should have prayed how many of y'all really spent did anybody anybody don't raise your hand Is anybody in here, did anybody in here even spend an hour a day in prayer out of a 24-hour day? Did did everybody in here read the Word of God and study it for, you know, 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes? Has anybody prayed all week 15 minutes a day and really focused in on God? We don't do it. They say pastors pray three minutes a day on an average. They're never in the Word, and the only time they're in the Word is to get a sermon. We're apathetic. What do, here's a quote from a commentator. What do Christians look like who are asleep in this way? I believe such spiritual slumber shows itself in a slackening of the intensity of their faith. They may read their Bibles, but not with much excitement or application. They don't tremble at God's word 
they may pray, but not with much earnestness or effectiveness or expectation. They may go to church, but only as spectators and consumers and not as properly working part of the body that contributes to its growth. They may be around non-believers, but they're not excited enough about their own faith to present it to others as ambassadors of Christ. They're saved, but are just sort of taking a spiritual siesta all the time. So as we're talking, look at your spiritual life. So he says, do this, live this way, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. He goes on to say, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Does everybody understand what he's saying when he talks about our salvation is nearer to us than when we believe? If you've been here in the last couple weeks, remember when we get saved, we're regenerated, then what happens? This all happens at the same time. Regenerated, then we're justified, right? But not only are we justified, this is mind-blowing, we're justified, but at that moment, we're also glorified. So once he justifies us, we've been declared guilty, we can't lose it, and we will make it to our glorification. So that's why he's saying your salvation is nearer than before. It's coming. Your glorification time is coming soon. But sal our salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. So it's nearer to us than the day that we believed in Christ as our Savior. So we should be all the more energetic and committed to a right walk with God instead of sleepwalking with God. And something, there's nothing more important to strive for excellence in than how we live for Christ. Because it only affects you, it affects everybody else you're around, everybody. Your life, how many of y'all, don't you want to on the day you're gone, maybe you don't get snatched away, but you die, wouldn't you love at your funeral for people to stand up and say, man, they lived a life that was so much different than the people that they're around? They lived a life that was so distinct for Christ? How many of y'all want that in your eulogy? Think back over the past week. How much of what you did was motivated by your conscious awareness of the coming of the Lord? If, I'm sure if you're like me, if you're, you'd have to say not much. We, you know why? Because we, we just do our day. We do our life. We do life. Without ever having a mindset of the day of the Lord is drawing near. I need to get busy while I'm here now. I'm not shutting down and waiting for there. I'm knowing that's coming, but I want to get out of my sleepwalk, behave right, and be as much of a witness to other people down here right now as I possibly can be. We forget that Jesus is coming and that we should be living every day in light of that great future event. So now verse 12, he says, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amplified says the night is far gone. And the day is almost here. Let us then drop or fling away the works and deeds of darkness and put on the full armor of light. So we need to be motivated to be light people and not in the midst of night people. So in the midst of people who are walking in darkness, we walk in the light. And I will guarantee you, your light will shine brightly if you live that way. Why? Because time is running out. Time is running out. Apathy, and hear this, willful sin, they have no place in the life of a follower of Christ because we're on a mission. And our window of opportunity is closing. We have an opportunity now to make a great difference in the light of Christ's return. I want to hear well done. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. 
I want to I want to I want to be caught in the midst of living and behaving the way I'm supposed to be behaving. That's challenging, right? So it says the night is almost gone. It's the Greek word prokopto. It literally means to advance forward. It's interesting how Paul uses this. It means to cut forward as in a forest, to blaze away, to go ahead, to make progress. So that Greek word Paul uses here in a metaphorical sense, it describes the advancing of the night. In other words, he's saying the night is almost gone. The night is advancing. It's used here by Paul. The idea is uh, the night has moved forward to a final stage and thus is drawing to a close. And the day, it says, is near. What day? The day of the Lord's coming back. No matter what end time position you have, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, he's coming back again. You can't escape that. There's a tribulation, no matter what you believe, which end time you believe, and he's coming back again. So you will be held at a moment. You'll be standing before the Lord. Yes, praise God we made it, but you will stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, and he will then judge us on the way we as believers lived our lives on this earth while we were here. That's the well done and good faithful servant. So it says in the day is near, the day of the Lord, the day of his triumphant return. Therefore, because of that, because of that, lay aside the deeds of darkness. The words lay aside, we talked about this a lot. In the Greek, it's in the aorist tense. It speaks of an effective once for all action. Lay it aside. Don't pick it up again. Pastor Todd always prays a lot before we start our service. Lay it down. Don't pick it up again. That's what it's talking about. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. Put them away. The Greek middle voice speaks of the subject initiating the action to lay aside and participate. That means we ourselves lay aside. We can't sit in our chair and say, Holy Spirit, take the deeds of darkness from me. We do it. We lay it aside. We get rid of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute. Then he gives us the strength to not walk in them anymore. But we got, some of this is on us. Some of this is on us. Think about this. Think about you're taking off a filthy, foul garment. Filthy, think about the filthiest, foulest garment you could have on you. It's stinking and it's nasty. Are you going to simply slip out of it and gently lay it at your side? I doubt it. You're probably going to fling it away to get away from the stench. That's what he's talking about. Fling it away. Get rid of it. Get it off of you. Get it off of you. Get it away from you. That's the picture of the action called here. John MacArthur, great Bible expositor, says, lay aside here carries the idea of forsaking or renouncing. And in this context, obviously refers to repentance from the deeds of darkness. A general term that includes all sins in which a believer may indulge. The Lord is grieved by all sin, but the sins of his own children bring special grief to the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. We sin by choice. It's not, I've heard somebody say, well, I made this mistake and the devil just, remember the old Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. You do it because you do it. You do it because you do it. The thought may be placed in your mind, but you act on it because you acted on it. We sin by choice, voluntarily clothing ourselves with this evil. In the Spirit's power, we can reverse that decision and lay aside sin, disrobe ourselves of it. So in this verse, understand that darkness is the natural habitat of evil. 
so that deeds of darkness are wicked works and such are to be decisively put off and away from the believers. We're supposed to put on the armor of light. Uh, One commentator said Paul here uses the imagery of a soldier who had dressed himself in party clothes and spent the night in reveling. As the day dawns, the commander orders him to wake up, take off his night clothes and put on the armor he needs to fight the day's battle. Verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Behave refers to one's habitual way of life or one's lifestyle. A Christian's walk is a Christian's life and should reflect a Christian's character. What does your life reflect? Is your life reflecting that you're really born again? When people look at you, do they really know you're born again? How do you react? Are you worrying all the time? Are you panicking all the time? People see that. We're supposed to be, I understand we go through things. We're supposed to be, you know, I'm trusting in the Lord. Amen. J. Vernon McGee, old time guy. says, walking is not a balloon ascension. A great many people think the Christian life is some great overwhelming experience and you take off like a rocket going out into outer space. That's not where you live the Christian life. Rather, it's in your home, in your office, in your schoolroom, or on the street. That's where we live out Christianity. We live it in life. We come in here to hear these things, to now go out and to be more effective for the kingdom of God. I've been a part of churches where the whole church service is about shouting, getting all excited. That's great, but they leave it in the church house and go out the door and behave like the world. That's not becoming to a man or woman of God. Somebody say amen to that. Let us behave properly as in the day. It's walking and acting during the day when everyone can see our actions. Contrary to those who walk in the dark, we are always walking as if it's in the day. And our actions can be seen. We choose not to be night walkers, but day walkers. It says, let us behave properly, not in carousing and drunkenness. So he lists these two deeds of darkness first, carousing and drunkenness. So is it okay for Christians to drink? Is it okay for Christians to go to the bar? Is it okay for Christians to get drunk? We're not talking about a glass of wine here. We're talking about drunkenness and carousing. Is it, is it proper for a man or woman of God to go to the nightclub as a believer. Some of you will shake your heads no, but there are many people that do it in the name of Jesus. And they will do it as a believer thinking they're walking in the light. They're either not saved, like we've talked about, or they are behaving improperly. How can you be a witness to anyone around you if you're living just like them? I did all that stuff before I got saved. I went to bars. I tried to dance in nightclubs. I did all that stuff. I did it drunk, too. It's even worse. But when I got saved, man, that's one thing about me. It changed. He pulled me out of that, and I now I recognize that's what I used to do. So carousing and drunkenness. The Greek word for carousing, or in, well, especially for carousing, was generally used of feasts and drinking parties that went on into the night. So he's talking about those kind of things, not becoming of a believer. Paul lists drunken and carousing, drunkenness and carousing as deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5.21, which are not appropriate for believers. 
Again, I'm sure there's people who claim to be believers and still go out partying and drinking, but these are deeds of darkness not fitting for children of light. And it doesn't even matter if you've had a bad day and someone's left you and your best friend smacks you and stabs you in the back. That doesn't give you any reason. I need to go to the bar and have a drink. No, you need to get on your knees in your house and pray. Right? Alcohol has become such a Instead of going to the Lord for our soothing, we make alcohol our soother. I'm not knocking a glass of wine. I know somebody in here is going to say, I like to drink my wine. But, you know, it's like, you know, well, remember the Bible says in Proverbs, drunkenness is a sin. So if you're able to drink one glass and not get drunk, you're cool. But if, you drink two, if I drink two glasses of wine, I'd feel it. I'm now in sin because to me, I know it's sin. Somebody says, well, I don't feel like it is, and I have the right to do what I want to do if I don't feel like it is. Well, some things the Bible are gonna, is going to be very clear on, and it talks about, especially no hard liquor. Anyway, get off that thing. It says, behave properly, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. The Greek word here is koite, is described as illicit, illicit sexual promiscuity, and it literally, this is interesting, the word literally means a bed and has in it the meaning of the desire for the forbidden bed. This was the typical heathen sin. So to make it more plain, sexual promiscuity refers here to sex outside of marriage. Don't do that. Now that sounds obvious, but people do it, and they do it every day, and somebody's doing it right now. And instead of being in church, they're doing it right now somewhere in this country. It's not proper behavior. Fight the fight. Fight the lusts. Put off the deeds of immorality, sensuality, drunkenness, carousing, sensuality. Put them off and don't pick them up. Even when you're tired, fight it. Fight it. Sensuality means unrestrained lust. It refers to the kind of sexual debauchery and abandonment that characterizes much of modern society and that is often flaunted almost as a badge of distinction. It's not proper behavior in the light of Christ's return. We don't live as temporal beings. There, I'm going to be out of here pretty soon. And although everybody down here is going to have a funeral, I'm up there with him. I want to make sure that I'm standing before him. I know I'm saved. I'm getting there. I'm already, it's already been established. But I want to do what I'm supposed to do here the right way, all the way till the end. When you think like this, you know what's going to help you do? When that sin thought comes into your mind, in the light of his return, it's going to help you fight and push that sin thought out and not let that manifest in your life and actually come into you sinning in that area of your life. So these are deeds of the flesh. Sexual promiscuity, drunkenness, and carousing. But here's the two that's really fascinating. All the other ones will go, yeah, those carousers, those drunks, those cheaters, those sensual people, yeah, shame on them. But then it says, not in strife and jealousy, which hits everybody in the church, <laughs> hits every one of you in this room. And you think this is no big deal because it's just a relational thing. That's the problem. Strife. This when I even I thought, whoo, strife and jealousy. So what is strife? 
Strife is a person. Mm, this is powerful. Do you know anybody? Don't shout out if you know somebody. Don't, don't, don't yell their name out right now. Strife is a persistent contention. They're always contending with you. Or bickering, petty disagreement, wrangling. And this is big for husbands and wives, too. How many of y'all know people that in your life that are constantly in strife with you? Strife conveys the picture of a bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension and emphasizes a struggle for superiority. So in that strife, they're trying to gain superiority over you. Strife conveys the picture of a bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension and emphasizes a struggle for superiority. Hey, if you're not saved, you're a sinner and sinners sin. And sinners talk like they talk. If you're saved, this is not becoming to you. I don't care what the person did to you. Don't react in kind. What happens is, especially in marital situations, man, it just gets violent and it gets... Ah. Don't act and don't return in kind. It's this strife. It's manifested by an often perverse and wearisome tendency to quarrels and disputes. Okay, jealousy. Jealousy means to be hot. It means to boil. Anybody ever felt jealous over something? It's, it's, it is, it's a monster. I wonder how many people are in prison today because of jealousy, uncontrolled jealousy. It's the Greek word zealos. It's most often used in an evil or negative sense, and with the latter context signifies envy or anger. It pictures a particularly strong feeling of resentment and jealousy against someone. Again, these are relational sins, and we shrug them off as no big deal, but these are a big deal because they are opposed to the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you have strife and jealousy, bitter contentment against someone, you're breaking the second commandment. If you've ever had strife or jealousy in your life, or you're in strife or jealousy right now, you're breaking the second commandment. We're living in the light of Christ's return, so we're supposed to be putting, remember, remember, I want you to get the word picture. We're supposed to throw this stuff off of our life. And we're not supposed to pick it back up because we get tired. Anybody get tired in sin? Um, but that's opposed to the second greatest commandment, strife and jealousy. So do not behave this way. And lastly, verse 14, we come to a close. Verse 14, this is the whole, this is the whole thing here. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. So we're supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like we would put our clothes on. Stop living our life in which our first thought is to gratify the desires of the flesh. Because as you go through your day, especially those who are, or whoever, you know, when your hormones kick up and you, you cannot give in to the desires of your flesh. That's why pornography is so big in the church because men are not putting off the deeds of their flesh. And the thought comes in and they, 
instead of going to the Word of God and taking it captive, they allow it to get in their mind. They're tired or whatever, and it gets in their mind. And instead of it, you're, the thought is not the sin. It's now acting on the thought. And they fall to it, and they give in, and they get caught in this. What, and what, whatever sin it may be or whatever, whatever desire of the flesh it may be in your life, we've got to not let that thought go anywhere. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let any thought into your head that would lead to a sinful desire. Ever heard the phrase, the clothes make the man? That's what the world says, but Paul has a better thought in the spiritual realm. So the Greek picture of this is to take upon oneself the interests of Christ, entering into his views, being holy on his side, imitating him in thoughts, words, and deeds. This is not possible naturally, but only supernaturally. Here's the difference between you and the unbeliever. The Holy Spirit's living in you. And he's not just giving you... He's given you a power to live your life proper in Christ, even in a world that is so fallen and in a nation that is so fallen. You have the ability and the power to live your life the right way. Somebody say amen to that. In the light of Christ's return, the Greek word put on, so put on the Greek Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Greek word in duo. It means to sink down into and put on or to clothe yourself. It's in the aorist tense, which means to do this now so you're supposed to do it before you leave the church so when we close in prayer unless you're doing it right now you need to put on the lord jesus christ and get off the deeds of darkness that you were involved in yesterday or sometime this week or sometime the week before that put that stuff aside if you have a sin again if you're unforgiving towards someone and there's a strife in you or a jealousy you need to deal with it today before you walk out of this church go to the lord and ask for forgiveness get rid of that stuff can it happen can you walk out of unforgiveness? Yes, you can. Clothed with Christ, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone says, but I'm already clothed with Christ. What he's referring here is to daily put him on. When you wake up in the morning, when you're putting on your clothes, you need to put on Christ. Put on your helmet of salvation and start thinking the way Jesus would think. Is it hard? It can be because we live in a fallen world and because if we don't pray and we're not in the word and we're not feeding ourselves and strengthening ourselves in the word of God, then we're, we're going to be much more easily swayed and falling to the temptations of the flesh. This is supposed to be a complete appropriation of everything that Jesus is, a total renunciation of everything that we are. This is a different life, y'all, living a different life. The life of a follower of Christ is a life of surrender. Somebody say surrender. And, and I'm going to read this. It says, we need to refuse to follow any natural inclination, however innocent, that runs contrary to Christ's path for us, no matter how innocent it seems. So our flesh is crying out all the time. Go ahead. You'll enjoy it. No one's going to get hurt. You can always confess it. People fall into that. They do it. They make no provision for the lusts of the flesh. Instead of that, we need to act in obedience to the Spirit's power. He enables us to be able to have victory over this. Amen? So if a thought comes in, take it captive, replace it with thoughts that are true and honorable and right. Or turn off your television. Turn off your television. 
you know, one day your life's going to come to an end. Do you want to do you want to look back and think, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time vegging out on television. You could have been praying. You could have been reading. I don't know if anybody here is like this, but you get tired and your tiredness, your flesh gets tired and your flesh wants to be soothed by the TV. But what we need to be doing is building up our spirits by praying. So we're going to give an account. Everybody thinks you're just going to get up there and we've already made it. No big deal. You're going to give an account to the Lord for the life you lived. If you don't believe it, go into 1 Corinthians and read about the judgment seat of Christ. You will give an account to the way you lived your life on this earth. And I'm going to challenge anybody in here. You need to get busy about the things of God. Just don't be contained in your own little life. Amen? When you're out at the grocery store, you're out shopping, at least say something to somebody. Edify somebody. Lift somebody up and live before other people as a man or woman of God. So in closing, I'm going to read this illustration to you. The illustration says this. Are you tolerating pet sins? If you are, then you need to remember the fate of the man with the boa constrictor, the pet boa constrictor. After 15 years of living with his owner, one day the pet boa would not let go. True story would not let go of its owner out of its grip, resulting in the owner's tragic death. So wild animals remain wild, and so does sin. It will restrict you, it will constrict you, and it won't kill you in the sense of killing you and sending you to hell, but it will kill your effectiveness on this earth. And you are called to be effective for the kingdom of God. Amen. Don't play with sin. So lastly, the day is almost here. Keep it in the forefront of your thinking and let the understanding that Jesus is coming back again, let it cause you and challenge you to live a life where you are behaving properly as is fitting for a true believer in Christ. You are here today hearing something from the Holy Spirit that a lot of people are not hearing in their churches on Sunday morning and being brought in this way. But understand something. I'm not afraid to offend you. I'm not afraid to make you mad because the word of God many times challenges us to live a life that is different than we're living now. Jesus didn't die so you could live any way you want to live. He paid a price for you. He suffered and died for you. He paid your ticket. He paid your and took care of your he pardoned you. He redeemed you. He bought you back from the deadness of your life and brought you into his family when you trusted in him as your Savior. So let's live our lives. Let's live our lives in the light of Christ's return and let's behave properly as in that day. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us and come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.